Most of the time, we review books that we really like here on The Book Boys. Other times, we review books that stink. And when a book really stinks, we get fussy. So this is a warning that sometimes we'll swear on this podcast, or sometimes the material that we're reviewing will be adult in nature. So keep that in mind as you listen to this week's episode. You recording? Yes, I'm recording. You always get so upset when I'm not. Because it's always gold when you're not recording. Well, it's not gold right now, so I guess your theory goes out the window. Maybe it is. What are you drinking? Uh, Another bubbly water. All right. Let's hear about this darn cat of yours. Always getting stuck in unfortunate places. Huh? What's going on with that? Well, let's just dive right into the show. Ben, how's your week, Ben? I want to hear about your cat. (laughs) I started letting the new cat down in the basement because he's always screaming and yelling upstairs. Yeah. Uh, Last week, when I was recording the Leaves of Glen podcast, he decided that he found a new way to get back behind the walls down here, and I didn't really pay much attention. And then later, when I was upstairs doing work, uh, I noticed he was playing with something like a hockey puck. It was a hard, plasticky thing that he was batting around the floor in the dining room. And uh, I took a look, Cat, and it was a... Uh, cats love toys. They're a very playful animals. Well, yeah, they're exciting. Little, they love adventure, and they love new things. Well, this turned out to be a petrified mouse that uh, was completely rock hard. <laughs> Must have been back there for years. And, uh, do you, do you never clean? Out. What the hell? No, it's behind the wall. You've seen my basement. Sort of, sort of filth are you living in? You've seen the basement. It's got the drywall up that's covering up all the hideous oh. stuff back behind it I can't get at. But the cat that, can. That's an excuse. All right, fine. So anyways, uh, yeah, I had to pick up this corpse that he had bitten off pieces of. So there's pieces all over the living room carpet and stuff. And uh, the whole thing was disgusting. So... I decided to let him down again, thinking if I'm here, he'll be, like, on better behavior. But nope, he got right back in the same spot that I suspected he was in. So I had to get him out of there, and then I had to block it off so he couldn't get up there again. I uh, bought a bunch of nectarines, but I totally don't know a whole hell of a lot about fruit. And so um, when I was putting it into my calorie counting app, I put down that it was an apricot. Because I don't really know what the difference is between an apricot and a nectarine. Wait, why did you just put nectarine? I didn't know it was a nectarine. I was looking at it. I'm like, well, I saw what it was wait, when I got wait, it at the you store. You acquired a piece of fruit. You didn't know what it was? Well, I did at the store. I'm like, oh, I'll get one of these. It's next to the plums and the peaches. And did then, you get nectarines and, wait, what did you say? What, and the apricot? Did you get both of those at the store? And you just, when you got home, you forgot which was which? No, no. You got to follow me here. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. But it's, I was it's at the store and I'm yeah. in the uh, produce and, you know, whatever fruit aisle and I see that they have peaches. And I go, nah, it looks too much like a butt. And then I saw uh, plums. And I'm like, ah, this give you diarrhea. And then I saw this thing in between them. And so I just grabbed like five of those. And I said, those look like they're inoffensive. And then when I got home and I was going to put it in my calorie counting app, I'm like, I actually don't know what the hell this thing is. It's not a peach. It's not a plum. Is it an apricot? What's an apricot? And so then uh, I just put it in. Then my daughter had to explain to me later that it's a nectarine and apricots well, nothing like it. She works at a grocery store, so she's kind of an expert. Right? Oh, no, this is the other one, the one that never leaves her room. Oh, okay. One that's jobless and just lays in bed all day. How the hell does she know what a nectarine is? Yeah, just because she's smarter than me, apparently. So, Ben, how yeah. is your week going? So our governor... Um, 
issued another executive order around coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And part of that was a statewide mandate for masks indoors. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which uh, includes my office. My office is indoors. The the Ooh. office building that I go to every day. That's yeah, how I didn't even think about reason. that. I was actually thinking about you recently. Like, God, I wonder how he's doing. Just like walking around without a mask every day it must be terrifying. I didn't realize that. Yeah, you'd have to be in the office. You got to wear a mask, right? Yeah. So that's a new mandate. Um, there was an exception there. It says if you're in an office by yourself, you don't have to wear a mask. Or if you're sitting in a cubicle and the cubicle walls are higher than face level, you don't have to wear a mask while you're at your cube. Oh, okay. So I don't have to wear one all day while I'm working. Um, just when I'm up and about and oh, well, well. going going to the bathroom that I share with 50 people because that's... Yeah, right. But that means I, that everybody else is wearing masks then, right? Yeah, everyone's wearing masks. Oh, good. Because there was a peer not, pressure, you said, where it was like, you can yeah, if you want. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so um, the week before this went into effect. So it was announced on a Wednesday or Thursday, I think, and it was to go into effect that weekend. So it's a couple days later, but yeah, uh, I was talking to my boss and she, with what I sensed was a very annoyed tone in her voice says, <laughs> well, I guess this means I'm going to have to get a mask now. She's never. Oh my God. Yeah. She didn't have a fucking mask yet. Apparently. I don't, I don't know what world she's living in where she didn't even see a need to own a single mask up until this point. She's, She's one of those presumably been out and about people. going yeah. going to Target, going to the grocery store. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I see that whenever, like, before the mandate came out, now you see more people wearing masks. But there's still people that don't. Like, the grocery store near my house that my daughter works at, like, I was watching a couple younger people, like, in their 20s walking in without masks and, and that kind of thing. And then you see them standing in line very close, like, pre-COVID days close in line behind a senior citizen who's clearly not healthy and wearing a mask and this guy's just standing there breathing on the back of his neck and yeah. I'm just like oh, what so she's that person she's that person yeah. <laughs> what a horrible person which is why like until it was mandated by the governor nobody was wearing a mask in the office because yeah, that's yeah. the culture that we're dealing with that's crazy but it was <laughs> just astounded I, I, I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised but it was still yeah, Jar- jarring to hear her say that to express the fact that she's inconvenienced because now she has to go get a mask. But yeah. the first person I saw upon entering the building last Monday was wearing a mask, but it wasn't covering his nose. I'm like, all mm. right, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, he's dick nosing it. Yeah, but the rest of the day was it was fine. Most people, like I said, were wearing them and wearing them, pro- wearing them properly, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, one person who was not wearing a mask when I saw him, though, was the douchebag CEO who was, I was walking down the stairs yeah. on his cell phone, not definitely not wearing a mask. I was going to ask because he was the one that wrote the governor and had his big tantrum that actually made the news. I was wondering how he was taking this forced mandate where he has to make everyone wear masks. Yeah, he's ignoring it, apparently, personally. <laughs> also, there was, I thought it was a, a bit strange. There was no official communication from the company, from HR or anything, reminding people, like, well, you got to wear a mask now in the office. No, sure. Starting Monday, there was no communication around it, which I thought was odd. Well, if the people stop following the mask mandate, um, you should really consider being the jerk that privately makes a complaint or something. Yeah, I need- I need to keep my job, though, for now. Yeah, I know. Well, that's fun. Not surprising that the owner decided that I don't need to wear the mask, but uh, ugh, it's just so frustrating. So dumb. You know that in Germany, they're having mass, mass protests because people don't want to wear the mask. 
And it's all the QAnon stuff. Like, the, everything that's been happening in America is just spreading around the world right now. Like, they had thousands of peoples in the street. We're, we're a beacon on the hill. The <laughs> we're the, the shining world. city on the hill. Yeah. Um, so, another thing that happened at work, I think hmm. it was last week. Uh, we have, it's summertime, so we have some interns in the office hmm. gaining valuable work experience. And, uh... I felt really old because I'm still in my 30s, I want to remind you. I'm not that old. But one of the interns <laughs> asked me if I knew what a meme was. Ouch. Yeah. So oh, that, boy. That that stung. You know, you sh- your answer should be like, oh, yeah. No, I know. Chocolate rain. I've seen it. <laughs> 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 or two girls, one cup. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's so. pretty. That Ouch. That hurts a little bit. But whatever. Anything else in your week, Ben? No, but uh, one other person has a little contribution to make, I'm sure, if we're ready. I was just going to ask, is there any sweet words from Gretchen? Yes. (laughs) Um, We're we're back on the birds. Were we on birds last time? Oh, yeah, we had an owl. Oh, can I jump in with something really quick? Uh, Yes, please. Sorry to sidetrack you. It's your show, as you often like to remind me. <laughs> oh, it's our show, Ben. It's our show. Um, though you are a great friend of the show. I got a bird bath. I wow. stuck it in my front yard. Okay. I'll have to send you pictures. It's in the shape of... I, went, I was like, I want a bird bath. And I bought a couple uh, bird feeders. One, which I think was a mistake, I put outside my dining room window. Uh, but I think that they won't come near it that close because of, you know, all the activity inside the house. They're probably too scared. But I did put one further away underneath a tree, hanging off a branch or whatever. And uh, But I'm not seeing any activity in either one of those or the well, bird bath. So if she's got well, any tips. How long has it been? Uh, since Friday. Yeah. Okay, it's been two days. Give it, give it a couple of days. Jesus. I don't know. Calm Can't they smell the seeds? You think they can they smell probably have, they, they already have their places that they go to eat and bathe. They haven't had any reason to seek out a new right, dining or bathing spot, but they'll find it soon enough and they'll, they'll stumble across it and be, hey, well, hey, look, hey, fellas, look at this. <laughs> hey, fellas. Yeah. Well, look what you, I found. you wait or they 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 got to wait because, man, when they see my birdbath, um, I went to Menards and the only birdbath that was available was one that has a stand that you stick to the ground. It's shaped like a frog laying on its back, and it's made of glass. And it also has a little solar panel thing on it, because at night, there's a little spotlight underneath the frog's chin that shines down on the water. Why? I don't know why they put a spotlight on it, because no birds are going to be bathing at 3 in the morning. But uh, it's there. Okay, so you're going to have to send me a picture of those. I was going to say, hold on one second. Oh, there we go. I received two pictures. Go ahead, take a look. Um, <laughs> Isn't it the stupidest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> Especially the nighttime shot where its belly's lit up. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Isn't it? <laughs> it's literally... So who... Yeah, you bought it because it was the last one there. Yeah. Like, who, who's the person that bought Like, oh, yeah, that's the one I want. There's a lot of bird baths here, but I found the one I want. I want this frog thing. I don't know. Well, everyone else bought up what must presumably be there was others, and they were better ones. So this is like the leftover that only the people in trailer parks or whatever are, are buying. And 
Uh, Initially, you see that tree stump behind it. I wanted to get a bird bath that was wide enough and maybe low enough to stick on the tree stump. And then I put some like hostas or something around the tree stump to hide it. Oh, that would have been cute. That was my initial idea. I was going to work with the tree stump instead of trying to, you know, ignore it. Uh, but then I mean, all could, that was left was this, removed. this, well, it costs money. I have like four <laughs> that got to go. Well, all right. Is there anything else you want to add? No, just, uh, just a bird blurb whenever you're ready. That's right. Okay. So let's, uh, get into the bird blurb, bird blurb. Ugh. Art. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been wait, a long day. Are you sick of these too? It sounds like you're maybe. No, I'm not sick of them. I'm oh, okay. having a tongue twister moment. It's been yeah, a long day. Really, you just didn't sound very enthused as you normally are about oh, the bird no, I am. Oh, I told the story about my bird bath and stuff. I'm, 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 I've literally seen crows, and okay. since I can't get them to like me and I don't have any food on hand to try and feed them, I just stare at them because I want them to be my friend. And it just makes them squeak even louder or make noise. So everything your mom's been saying, I've taken to heart. Suddenly, I want to have bird friends. But go on. Well, I still think you need to be cheered up, so I'm going to start with the joke. Oh, thank you. If two vegans have an argument, (laughs) is it still considered a beef? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. She's a mystery. Okay, so go but on. I'm, What's the I'm bird blue? The black-capped chickadee is a common urban bird because it gets much of its diet from feeders and is usually the first to find a new feeder. That's pretty relevant to you, huh? <laughs> Needs to feed every day in the winter and will forage for food even during the worst winter storms. Supposedly can be easily tamed and hand-fed. Oh, well, whoa. Hold on one second. Fucking cat. I think he just broke something. Hold on. <laughs> I put that there for a reason, you son of a bitch. You're not going up there. Yeah, go upstairs. Go on, get. Go on, get. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you sound like <laughs> such a curmudgeon there. <laughs> Just dropping F bombs at the cat. You got a damn son of a bitch. Like, who, who are you? <laughs> All right, so go on. Uh, forages for food, even in the dead of winter. Yeah, I finished. The blurb is done. Oh, God damn it. All right, fine. What? I, what I, what did I, I learn from blurb? this blurb? Well, I know I'm all. I well, you have a new feeder, and this bird might be the first one to find it. It often is the first one to find a new feeder. No, this is all fine. It's just I, I'm upset that the cat ruined Gretchen's bird blurb. It, it ruined the flow and uh, everywhere we were going with that. So now I had to go scream at a cat for a while. And I just want to apologize to Gretchen. We pretty much ruined that right there. Well, the cat ruined it. All right, let's get into the show. You ready now? Sure. All right. read the hardy boys uh, Goddamn right we did <laughs> the missing chums <laughs> yep hardy boys number four yeah uh written in when was it written 1920 something 1928 but or 29 maybe but heavily revised in 1959 apparently <laughs> revised like rewritten because, because i kept of, trying to give a lot because of, of all the racism 
Oh, yeah. That yeah. might have yeah. probably <laughs> been it. <laughs> Apparently in 1959, they rewrote a bunch of the Hardy Boys books to eliminate some racially problematic stuff. So For real? Or are you just kidding? No, no. I, this is straight from Wikipedia. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, that's crazy. Wow, I wonder what kind of horrible stuff the Hardy Boys would say. <laughs> well, and apparently so they got criticized for how they did that because they just, instead of correcting the racial problems in the books, they just like, got rid of every non-white character pretty much. Oh, really? That was, so, yeah, they just, they just made Bukalik Bayport a very white town. Uh, was oh, the my solution. God. I yeah. want to, I sort of want to like find an original text and uh, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to reread the chums, you know, not for the show, but just on my own. And see how horrible it gets. Like, if it's really that offensive. I'm sure it is, but... Yeah. Wow, they had a dark side. Chapter one. Exciting assignment. Joe and Frank have been given a case to solve right at the beginning of their summer break. Wait, Joe and Frank who? Hardy. Oh, okay. Oh, are they the Hardy boys? (laughs) Yeah, they're the Hardy boys. Hardy brothers. Hardy sons. Okay. Uh, Basically, there's been trouble in Shantytown, and... uh, they they don't like police, so they need to be have like uh, people go What's undercover. Shantytown? What? What is Shanty Town? It's a place where day laborers and seasonal workers and homeless people basically gather along this beach okay. uh, and ha- live in little huts. Are you quizzing me? Is that what's going on right now? Why well, just you're just dropping these words without explaining what it is? I'm just trying. Everyone to knows what Shanty give... Town is. Maybe not, but the Shanty Town that you speak of, it's in or near Bayport, where the Hardy Boys live. Yes. Okay. Otherwise, the police wouldn't. The police wouldn't ask these two young boys to go and dress <laughs> to, up and to go, go undercover. <laughs> They're having trouble in Shantytown. We don't know exactly what, but we know it gets violent. So the totally. cop solution is to send a seventeen and eighteen year old boy. <laughs> I know. That's where I was just like, well, that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, so I have a quote being, uh, "Yes, I want you to put on old clothes, muss your hair, and hang around Shantytown for a while. See if you can discover what's been stirring up the group. Will you do it?" Uh, ever since you solved the tower treasure mystery, our lives I, have been the same. <laughs> and I, wrote I, know, I love that too. At the, beginning, <laughs> at the beginning and at the end of this book, they're referencing other books titled like the. They're referencing it like in italics in yeah, the book. I like, know they're just selling other books. And, and sorry, just I'm going to jump way ahead to the end because mm-hmm. since we're on the topic, but just how they reference it at the end. <laughs> For a moment, the Hardys were silent, wondering how soon another case might come their way. They were to find out in the near future while hunting for hidden gold. <laughs> yeah, and the hunting for hidden golds in italics. I yeah. like that when you're when you're reading your uh, your segments here, uh, you, you kind of you, you take on a new flavor. It's not the same as Twilight. Now you got kind of like a 1920s radio announcer voice. I kind of like it. That's what I'm going for. It seems to suit the occasion. Yeah, so I'm glad did. you appreciate that. So we're introduced to Chet as he's hiding in the rafters of their boathouse because they have a boathouse. <laughs> and the Chet? name of their boat? <laughs> the Sleuth. But can we talk about Chet Morton for a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Feel free. Because my favorite part, I think maybe my favorite part about the book overall, this and the kind of latent sexism later on the book, but oh, yeah. it's just the various ways they call Chet Morton fat. <laughs> I know. I have notes on that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> they call him stout. They call him chubby. They call him a little plump. They call him fat. It's just, like, that's the only defining characteristic of the character of Chet Martin is he's a little overweight. I know. And they basically bully him because when he's hanging up in the rafters because he wants to, like, surprise the Hardy Boys. Of course, you're not going to put one over on the Hardy Boys. So in what they do the is rafters, they... In the rafters of the Hardy Boys 
boathouse, boathouse because yeah. the pretty boys have their own motorcycles and a boat. Yeah, they got their own motorcycles, which they didn't name, but they have a boat that they named the Sleuth. <laughs> which is clearly their boat. It's not their family boat or anything. It's not their father's boat. It's clearly it's their Joe own and boat. boat. Yeah. But for some reason, so, it's like the fastest boat on the waters. Like everyone's got to respect the speed of the Sleuth or whatever. It's, it's constantly being drilled into you through the whole story. But um, I love that they, they basically like just because they're bullying him, they were able to see him up there. And then they, what they do is they push this boat that was below him, that there's water at the, you know, and then the boat, they, they move the boat out of the way. Then they scare him and he falls in and they make a lot of in, comments about his, yeah. his large girth hitting the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, they take the sleuth out, uh, to go spy on shantytown and they nearly get run over by a, a boat. Uh, it's called the black cat. And yep. uh, and one thing I noticed, uh, there's a swarthy man driving it. And I remember very early on in the podcast we started doing, you and I had a big debate over whether swarthy was an insulting thing to say. Uh, I think you said it wasn't, and I said it was. But swarthy is used in this book more than once. I, I don't remember you and I having this conversation. Oh, but. I do. It's uh, I'm not going to go dig it up, but it is one of our earlier episodes. Uh, the word swarthy was used. Chapter two, an evening of mystery. Wait, 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 wait. Chapter one. Oh, what? Two. Oh. That was the grin count. Oh, you know, I noticed only at the very end that they have the word grin. And I was like, oh, shit, I should have kept up with that. I wonder if Ben's been picking that. So good for you, Ben. I did a count overall, not chapter by chapter, of how many times they say fellow or fellows. (laughs) Like, oh, hello, fellows is constantly coming up. Turns out for the whole book. 54 times the word fellow or fellows wow. is used. Yeah. That's that's a lot. It is a lot. It's constant. For, for a 170 page book, that's once every like two to three pages. I know. It's constant fellows. It's just ridiculous. They even refer <laughs> to like the like bank robbers as like, well, those fellows. It's just hilarious. The grin count, though, I'm, I'm just. So I wasn't keeping a tally, but I was noting every time I saw one. So I'm just going to have to count my notes real quick. But. Yeah, well, we'll save that for the end. You let me know what you get. Uh, I will look it up also in the Kindle and find out what the total grin count is. We'll see if you if you nailed it this time. Chapter two, an evening of mystery. Ah, they see the black cat and the bald man uh, is in the boat. There's a big, tall, bald man who's just laughing at him. Uh, they can't control their boat and they're going in circles because the rudder broke or whatever. And so they're heading towards. They're kind of nudging towards shore until the Napoli with Tony appears to help. It's a different boat with one of their friends. They returned their broken boat. I and think had, it would be probably pronounced Napoli. Is but, it Napoli? I don't know. Yeah. Who gives a crap? Uh, they returned. It's not like the Hardy Boys. Oh, I mispronounced something in the Hardy Boys, and I'm going to go cry. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's one of the largest cities in Italy it's named after. I mean, not named after Napoleon? Napoli? No, it's named after Naples. All right, fine. Napoli is, is Naples in Italian. They return That's... their broken boat, and they head towards the harbor to report the incident. Uh, no one knows about the black cat. They think it's uh, it's from a boat regatta up north or some sort of boat party or boat festival. Yeah. Uh, they go to the costume store to pick up their costumes, and they see the owner talking with two mysterious men. Uh, and uh, one of the men, they hear overhear him saying, you're in for this now, French, and don't you forget it. So that's chapter two. Anything you want to say about chapter two? One. Oh, only one grin, huh? Chapter three, Faces well, in the Fog. They're, they're short chapters. Keep that in mind. They are, that's true. Uh, the owner's nervous. He brings their costumes a gr- uh, for the boys, a gorilla suit and a wizard suit. So these mysterious men see the boys. Magician. And- yeah, you're right. I wrote wizard. I don't know why I wanted to make it a wizard so badly. Back at home, 
they prank Aunt Gertrude by wearing the masks and uh, ringing the door. Uh, they tell their parents that they're going to a costume party. I have a quote being, Callie Shaw uh, party, Joe answered. Frank can't wait to see her. Oh, ho, his father teased. And I suppose you, Joe, won't look for Iola Morton <laughs> as soon as you get there. The brothers grinned, so there's that, at the mention of the two girls yeah. that they liked best. And I wrote, compared to Twilight, this is refreshing. Heading to the party, they stop to get ice cream. And down the street, they see a bank robbery. And that's the end of the, <laughs> the chapter. <laughs> it's it's so wholesome, but so weird at the same time. Like, they're going to a costume party. They're picking up ice cream. Oh, but at the same time, they're planning on going undercover to investigate all the hobo fights. Like It's, it's weird. It makes it wholesome and kind of dark stuff. Uh, anyways, you got to count for that besides the one I called out? For chapter three? Yeah. Uh, I've got, I've got two. Oh, okay. Chapter four, a daring getaway. They chase down the robbers, which is so stupid because they're just kids. The robbers get out of the car uh, at the pier and they jump into a boat. The boys try to get to the Coast Guard, uh, uh, which show up when they heard yells for police. The cops show up. Uh, they're new and they don't know the Hardy Boys, which is shocking. They hear that the robbers wore masks and see the gorilla mask in the I wrote wizard, but of course, magician um, outfit uh, from the Hardy Boys and think that they're part of the gang. Uh, they go back to their boathouse and see that the sleuth has been stolen. Now, see in chapter four. Anything in there? No. No grin? Well, it was kind of a no. it's one of the darker chapters. All right, chapter five, Dancing Gorillas. They think that the boat has been stolen by the robbers. Uh, and since the rudder's broken, they're all smug about how they're not going to get very far. They meet a bank teller uh, who's out there on the street, and he tells a story about being held at gunpoint. And the boys ask for any details, uh, like fat, thin, tall, short, and he says, they're all the same size. <laughs> the boys get on the... But that's impossible. <laughs> no. I know. Uh, the boys get on Tony's Napoli and look for the boat. Napoli? Uh, uh, they hear the boat out there going in circles. They, uh, they go back and report to their dad before going to the party about what happened. Uh, they go to the Shaw house for the party. Uh, when they show up, the mom takes their ice cream, and they were hailed uh, by a camel with four human legs. It's two kids. To spend, I'm like, did the two kids spend the entire night in the camel outfit? <laughs> like one kid's bent over on the butt, on the back, whatever. And yeah, Chet, this, is, this is a weird masquerade party. Totally weird. Uh, Chet's wearing the same gorilla suit. Uh, and I wrote, I'm sure this will play out later. Uh, Chet says for no reason that he's going camping and the Hardy boys aren't invited. Two hours later, Chet's mom calls the Hardy home. Chet's missing and Biff is missing too. Anything for uh, chapter five? Uh, three grins. Three grands. All right, chapter six, a perilous slide. They tell their dad. Weirdly, he's concerned but doesn't go with the kids to find out more. They call the girl who had the party to see if Chet's car is still there, and it is. Uh, they decide to leave and check out the car, and for some reason, Chet gave them a key to his own car, which never comes up later, that I remember anyways. I guess that they call the car the queen is a weird note. The kids maybe, wonder... Maybe it comes up later in The Shore Road Mystery, Hardy Boys number six. <laughs> you know what I like the most about this is in the very beginning of the book, I thought they were referencing a previous book, uh, but they're actually talking about the book you're about to read. It's some sort of overview in the very, very beginning, at least on the Kindle edition. I Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. that kind of, if you read that, 
ruins a lot of the plot. It just tells you the whole book. (laughs) It goes, and later that same night, the young detectives pals Chet Morton and Bill Hooper mysteriously disappear after a masquerade party. It's it's Biff. Oh, sorry. Uh, Oh, yeah, it says Biff, and I misread it. Whatever. Let's move on. Uh, Are the events related? Well, you're the one who wants to go over every little detail. You may as well get the details right. I think we could really shorten this episode of the podcast just by reading the little synopsis in the front of the book and leaving it at that. (laughs) That's true. Uh, they also write, are the events related and do they emanate from Shantytown or Hermit Island, an isolated landmass inhabited for many years by a strange reclus? Is it significant that uh, both the missing boys and the bank robbers wore masquerade masks, or is it more important that Chet is wearing a costume identical to Frank's? That's in the very beginning. I thought they were referencing a previous book. I didn't realize they were nope. literally talking about the book you're about to read. It's the missing chums. Uh, so anyways... Uh, they got a car called the Queen. The kids wonder about the sleuth. Uh, no one's found it yet. They ask Dad about the stolen car. Uh, they decide to go up north. Uh, but Joe won't do it unless he's in the sleuth. Uh, the, and all of a sudden, the aunt brings pancakes. And they decide to search for the shore for the boat and drive along the coast on their bikes. Uh, they see uh, the shantytown. Uh, they find their boat on the shantytown shore. Uh, they decide to use the Coast Guard to get their boat. As they drive along. So that's not very interesting. Do you got a count for chapter six? I didn't get any grins in that chapter, but when they were looking for their boat, they were up on a cliff kind of, and they saw the boat down below. So they were trying to go down and get it. And Frank almost fell off the cliff and died. Which happens more than once in this book. And I just like how they they never make a really big deal out of it either. No, there's nothing. There's one point where they literally got shot at and there's nobody... And again, the parents don't care. The parents, like the dad here is like, oh, and they shot at you. Well, that's interesting. Well, I'm glad you guys are safe. And that's it. They don't care about, like, you guys got to stop going out and get yourself in trouble. Yeah, you are going to die one of these times. If you keep getting close to death one of these times, you're just going to die. Stop doing that. Exactly. Like, it's kind of like, you know, the more you drive to work, if you got like an hour long commute to work, uh, you know, your chances increase exponentially day by day uh, of getting in a car accident. Same thing. If you're going to keep getting shot at, you're not going to escape every time. Thanks. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I know. That's that, I, that I still have to drive to the office every day. Thanks. That's that's another bad part about it. They examine the mask. Uh, the rip shows that it's Chet's. Uh, they wonder why the mask was in the water. Uh, Frank notes that Chet and Biff are excellent swimmers. They find their damn boat. They take it in to see where uh, there's a new rudder part. Uh, they dress up to go to Shantytown. Aunt Gertrude asks why they're going. Mom asks if it's another costume party. She turned the costumes uh, in for them already. Joe asks the store owner about Biff and Chet, and he won't overcharge them for the cost. A lot of annoying details. Uh, the aunt asks where they're going. They say Shantytown. Aunt Gertrude says, Even foolhardy, young detectives get hungry and packs them a lunch. And I wrote, Nobody cares about these kids. <laughs> I Well, I like the... The women characters in this book, Aunt Gertrude and, and the Hardy Boys' mom, they're only concerned about the boys is just basically waiting on them and giving and clutching them their food. pearls. Yeah. Yeah. Clutching their pearls and making sure they have dinner. Yep, That's exactly. It. And the dad is just kind of like, hey, look, I'm busy. You guys do what you got to do. Hey, you're making I'll me proud. In, I'm in the study. Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they go to uh, Shantytown. Uh, that's where they meet Alf. And. Uh, they ask Alf about all the trouble in Shantytown. He says it's Sutton and the others are causing problems. And they ask if he lives there. And he says no, but he works on the docks and knows all these people. So he's kind of slumming. Uh, they tell Alf, uh, our name is Hardy, but don't let anyone know it. Well, yeah, that's what I was getting at before. They're, they're supposed to be undercover in Shantytown, trying to figure out what's going on there. The first guy they meet and they have a 
two minute conversation with. They decide they can trust him. Like, yeah, we're actually uh, we're detectives. I know, and they spend the rest of the undercover. book being one hundred percent dedicated to this elf guy for the rest of the book. Yes, like, elf's word is gold. Their best friend. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So uh, they realize that Sutton is a speedboat driver after talking to Alf. Uh, do you got to count for that chapter? Uh, what chapter is that? Chapter seven. Uh, one. Eh, only one. Oh, that's good. Chapter eight. Postcard puzzle. Uh, they take off when they realize uh, that and they they don't want to be recognized because of uh, Sutton. They think that Chet and Biff might be held captive in Shantytown. They sneak over uh, to a, a small shack behind Sutton's, and they, they float around a window for about an hour without seeing any activity inside. They run into Alf again, and he's playing harmonica for some laborers. They all sit and eat, and the boys pull out a pound of frankfurters, rolls, two cans of beans, and apples. And I wrote, none of this seems very convincing for a shantytown inhabitant. But so these kids are just like these two small children just pull out an entire meal for these guys to sit and eat. After questioning yeah, the laborers... Oh, Can I digress for a moment on the pound of frankfurters? Go nuts. <laughs> so a couple months ago, I was having a, a virtual happy hour with some friends then uh, you know, having drinks. And one of them was preparing dinner. It was a reliable dinner that he prepares, she said, usually about once a week. Mm-hmm. And it was a can of baked beans heated over the stove. And mm-hmm. when the beans are heated up, he has... At the same time, he's been preparing five hot dogs, which he chops up into little pieces and dumps into the beans and eats that <laughs> as a meal. <laughs> I used to do that to fill up my mac and cheese when I was completely broke and poor. I'd buy some mac and cheese, and then I'd buy like a small bag of uh, shredded cheese, and I'd just buy a whole thing of hot dogs because they're kind of cheap. And you throw some extra cheese on top of the mac and cheese, and then you slice up those hot dogs. And boy, are you ripe. Full at the end of that. Were you doing five hot dogs? And well, not five, but like three. It seemed excessive to me. Yeah, I mean, it's only two more than I would do, so I don't see it as so much excessive. But well, it's still a pretty white trash meal. Yeah, and you said you you did it when you were poor to fill you up. (laughs) This friend of mine, he's not he's not struggling at all. He's doing doing all right for himself. (laughs) But this is how he chooses to eat. His other standby meal is uh, a box of mac and cheese with a can of tuna. Mixed in there. It's like a really half-assed tuna casserole, which I was curious about. So I, I tried that one myself, and like, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not good. It's only yeah. good when you're tired of eating ramen and you want to have something that's more filling and has a little bit more flavor. But the, yeah. the tuna and mac and cheese, I'm gonna have to try that sometime. <laughs> I, I was I was disappointed when I tried it. All right. So, anyways, uh, the question laborers. They have the big meal. They finally head home around midnight. And dad says that he was thinking of putting the boys on this case that he's working on. Where a, The dad doesn't care that they came home at midnight after being in Shantytown. Uh, where a ringleader is uh, telling cells of robbers to rob banks around the country. And they get a postcard from Chet and Biff, and they're not falling for it. So they get on the sleuth, and they head out to look for evidence around an island. Uh, they find the glass of broken bottle at the bottom of their boat, and they find a busted-up hole on the banks of the island, and they try to see if it's a black cat... And one of them looks under the water with a snorkeling mask uh, to see if it's a black cat. But they get pulled by the current uh, towards some rocks, so they have to stop doing that. So that's Chapter 8. Anything you want to say about that? Uh, no, but I think you covered it. All right. You don't get any grins? Uh, not that I noticed in that one. All right. Chapter 9, The Old Salt Story. They make a huge deal out of the waters being rough and how the kids are going to crash into the island, but then nothing happens. So that was annoying. 
They examined the postcard that they got, and it's yellowed. It has yellowed edges, uh, and the picture is out of date. It's supposed to be—I forget why it's out of date, but whatever. Uh, There's sort of what is it, a streetcar on there, and there hasn't been a streetcar in Northport in ages. I tells you. <laughs> Uh, they see an ink stain on it, and they think, ah, this looks like it was spilled. And if it was spilled with the other postcards, then the other postcards probably also have ink stains as well. So we got to go look for that. So they go to the confectionery store called Harry's, and he says, don't touch. He said in a deep voice. The boys turn to see a big man lumbering toward them. He had a, a swarthy face, which is why I made this quote, and a huge dark eyes and heavy black mustache. Wait, was he swarthy? So the guy on the boat was swarthy, and this guy was swarthy too? Two different swarthy men. Okay. <laughs> Swarthy the, just means like dark complexion. It's not. Yeah, but it also means like Italian and or you know from Spain and that kind of thing. It's it's, it's mildly racist, I think, but I don't think anyone really says it enough where people get upset that much because they don't really know what it means. They examine the postcards, see the ink stains. The owner says the big bald uh, big bald man bought it. Uh, he says the bald man also bought a fizzle soda. Uh, they go back to the rock or to the dock and they see uh, William Kane. He says that he owns the black cat. He says that the boat is uh, back and all tied up. He says the wreck is, that they saw is another boat called the Queen of Spades. Three men from San Francisco rented the black cat. Ben, a dark fellow with black hair combed back, which is like how I like to imagine you if you had hair. And Fritz, uh, and also a bald man who is nameless. And they head home and suddenly think that they see Chet on a boat. So anything you want to say about chapter nine? Well, speaking of Chapter 9 and Chet, when the boys were asking the guy at the postcard shop if they'd... Because they, they thought Chet maybe had bought them. Yeah. And uh, Chet and Biff. And Joe was asking him, like, if the man recognized or remembered seeing two boys our age. Yeah. One of them pretty chubby. <laughs> That's right. Why did I make a note of that? But yeah, you're right. They keep always yes, having us just drill every that time. in. Unhealthily obese. Little boy yeah. waddled, waddled in. Anyway, there's one grin in that chapter that I caught. Got it. Okay, well, nice catch. Chapter 10, a narrow escape. They pull their boat up and call out to Chet because they thought they saw him on this boat on their way back home. And I wrote, they're always giving themselves away for some reason, like always just blatantly putting themselves in danger if it was a dangerous scenario. They decide to wait until night and come back. Uh, Frank crawls up the boat when they do come back. They get attacked by the people on the boat. They escape, and someone is shooting a gun wildly into the water. It wasn't Chet after just, all. And they're just chuckling. Yeah, I know. They're like, ha, ha. They, they almost die. They almost get shot. And they just chuckle. I know. And it wasn't Chet that they saw on the boat. It was just a Chet-like man. Yeah. Well, anyways, wasn't Chet after all. So they go home and Aunt Gertrude uh, shows some concern. So this is nighttime. But, I, but also supper is waiting for them. I know, but it's like, what time is it? Nine, ten o'clock? <laughs> like, at what point? I don't know. It's got to be summertime, right? So like 9.30, 10, when the sun goes down, it's dark. I don't know. So they go home, and Aunt Gertrude shows some concern. I wrote, Jesus, finally. They eat dinner quick and head to the lab to assemble the broken bottle from their boat. They find out it's a fizzle bottle. And I wrote, I feel like they could have figured out what the bottle was without having to glue a whole bottle together to, <laughs> to discover it. I'm sure there's well, a label. and You could figure that out. I don't know. Well, I don't know if there's a label. It's probably just painted straight on the glass, isn't it? Can't you put those painted pieces together and be like, oh, it's a fizzle bottle? Well, they did, right? Yeah, they constructed the whole bottle. They put the whole thing together. Well, they, they're, they're thorough. They're a thorough. You know, you don't want sloppy detectives. Well, just then, they figure out that the bottle could have been one of the robbers, which common sense tells you they stole your boat. 
the robbers took off and went to the dock and got your boat and they dropped a bottle. It's going to be from but nope, they're like, maybe it's from that, but they're not for sure. They think about the postcards and Ben, ben Stark, uh, wondering if they're all connected, which clearly they are. They wonder how the fights in Shantytown fit in. Uh, and they got a quote that says, Remember what Dad says, persistence is just as important as cleverness in detective work. The phone rings. It's chief colleagues saying that they picked up someone in Shantytown for a stealing. Uh, and the quote being, he's a big, strong fellow. Then they call him Alf. So, but now we know. Anything That's you want to say for Chapter 10? Well, Alf is their best friend right now. <laughs> I, know, they they, I think they've given on up on, they've probably given up on Biff and Chet being alive at this point. <laughs> so we're going to Alf being their best friend. <laughs> it's like, hey, Alf, do you want to go to any like masquerade balls with us and stuff? And Alf's like 48 years old. <laughs> he's like, okay. Well, there's uh, so for chapter ten, any kind of counts you want to give for that? Uh, I didn't catch any in chapter ten. All right, chapter eleven, midnight caller. The cops found a transistor radio in his bag. Sutton reported it stolen, and I love the transistor radio because something about the cops, anything involving the transistor radios, all the characters fall all over themselves. Talk about how great they are. So the cop says, "Take a look." The chief invited, and Frank picked up his con or his compact, heavy little set. Uh, Japanese make. Ooh, Yomahama Super X. Let's see, Joe requested. He gave a low whistle as his brother passed it to him. Ah, oh, what a little beauty. Brand new, too. Look at that nickel and ivory case. It's an expensive rare set, Lieutenant DeLay commented. Not many people could afford one, so there's this whole group of people just, like, sitting here in awe over this, like, little radio. Uh, they decide it belongs to the Ring of Thieves because it's so expensive, and they think that it's why people are fighting in Shantytown. They head home, and the house is dark. And I wrote, I'm starting to lose track of when it's day or night. Mr. French is at the door. He seems surprised to see them, and he hurries off. The next morning, they eat breakfast and head out to search all the appliance stores to find the radio. They stop at a store, and the clerk says that they have them. They say they don't want to buy one. They just want to know if they've sold any. No, the disappointed clerk admitted. We didn't sell many. We thought we would, despite the high price. Oh, because the Super 8 uh, transistor has so many extra features. FM, shortwave, you name it. And I wrote, I love how emotionally invested everyone is about these radios. <laughs> it's a quality product. The boys go home and put on their beachcomber clothes, and they wander around Shantytown. And they see trash. Frank sees that one of the trash like, piles their has pop beachcomber, Their beachcomber outfits involve makeup, too. It's like this full disguise. Oh, does it involve makeup? I missed that part. Yeah, they, they make. <laughs> I think they make themselves look swarthier than they naturally are. <laughs> oh, I'm imagining fake stubble, like, you know, like a child's idea of a hobo. I, I kind of <laughs> think that's what they're getting at, yeah. Uh, anything for Chapter 11? Uh, one grin. Well, they all add up. Chapter 12, The Desolate Island. They heard, they head toward the shack where the trash is connected with, and they see a man laying on a cot with dried blood all over his face. And it's Hank Sutton. The police, and by this point, I'm losing track of who's who and kind of don't care. Like, oh, who's Hank Sutton? Is that the swarthy guy? I don't remember anymore. Uh, the police and ambulance show up, and Hank is muttering a name over and over, and it's Alf's name, even though he's like half unconscious. Not looking good for Alf. Apparently, it's noon because the boys go home and eat lunch. They decide to look around for places. Which the women, presumably, prepared for them. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> the dad's not around to help slice meats. He's too busy solving cases. He's famous. And an 18-year-old boy can't be expected to prepare his own meal. <laughs> not when there's women in the house. Exactly. 
they decide to look around uh, for other places that sell soda in the town. They enter a sweet shop where they hang out a lot with their friends. And I wrote, they hang out at a candy store. Tony and Jerry are there just hanging out. The quote being, hello, fellows. <laughs> Frank greets <laughs> them. <laughs> candy store owner says that the only place he's seen that sells fizzles in Northport, which they already know to begin with, uh, where they've been before and they found them. Well, they didn't know that was the only place. But it doesn't matter. Like, the, the, the place that was selling them that they found said, yeah, a bald man bought them. So now you know a bald man buys fizzle. It doesn't matter, like, how many places he's buying fizzle. I don't know. Anyways, I said, what the hell's with tracking down things they've already clearly figured out by now? Uh, they decide to go to Hermit Island because Biff had mentioned it at some point in the past. Callie, one of the ladies, uh, the, uh, fine, fine ladies, Oh, yeah. She's there because they hang out at a candy store. Uh, she has to come along. And Iola wants to as well. And she starts crying because Chet's her brother, which convinced them to let them go. So they all get on their boats fin- and they Finally, go. one person is concerned that they're kidnapped. I know. Nobody's crying. The parents don't care where the kids go. No one's co- uh, co- uh, concerned about Biff and Chet. But one person is. It's only because she's related to one of them. They get to the island. Uh, my part, this is part of the... Uh, kind of latent sexism you were talking about earlier. I have a quote that says, This is a spooky place, commented Iola, looking around her uneasily. It does give me the creeps, uh, Kali agreed. The boys laughed, but felt that they should proceed carefully. And I wrote, Ha ha, oh, girls. But seriously, guys, or seriously, fellows, we should just be careful. (laughs) So they both appreciate what the women said and also uh, disparage it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Don't value it at all. Like, yeah, ah, they, they appreciate girls. it, but not really. Yeah, yeah. Ah, you're so stupid and weak. But seriously, guys, let's be careful around here. Yeah. <laughs> We're seriously fellows. I got to learn how to say fellows. I want to put fellows in my daily conversation. So, anything to say for chapter twelve? Nah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any counts for grins? No. <laughs> you said that really midwestern. Chapter thirteen: the threatening figure. They see an old man with a long white beard on the rock bluff pointing a gun at them. Uh, he leaps spryly from rock to rock to go after them. Uh, a quote being, get off my island. Uh, come the get, strong. I say. Yeah, get, said the old man. The shotgun jerked threateningly. Get, I say. Which, when I was yelling at my cat, I made a point of screaming, get, go on, get. And you didn't catch that. I was kind of hoping you'd say something about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I said you sound like an old curmudgeon. I should have said you sound like a hermit. Like an old man leaping, leaping uh, like a beautiful elk from rock to rock. And I wrote, this guy's the most exciting character so far because he's like spry and old and weird. And like, I want to know more about him. Did he used to be like a, I don't know, like a ballet dancer in his past? So they run for their lives. They decide to go to the headquarters again uh, to see if there's any word on Sutton. Sutton is awake at the hospital. He says he was hit from behind, doesn't know who it was. Frank says that he saw bruises on his face, so he's covering up for someone. They ask about the hermit uh, and find out uh, that he died last fall. Uh, he was, What? Yeah, so what was the story with the hermit? He was a, a reclusive person, and somebody willed him the island so he could be all by himself and be left alone. Yeah, yep. And then when he died, he didn't will it to anyone, so now the state owns it or whatever. Yes. Which is a sad little story. I kind of want to learn more about the hermit. And who is this friend that took the hermit in and gave him a whole island is uh, kind of like a story I'd like to learn more about. But that's not this kind of story. Wait, didn't it say it wasn't his sister or something? I don't know what it was. Oh, was it his sister? I forgot that. I don't know. Now, 
But anyways, the thing is, the island isn't far from Shantytown. The mask and costumes could have floated over in the tide. Uh, they walk through the town. So they, they know that this island is a thing. Focus on the island, but instead they just go back to Shantytown. Uh, but they, they walk through the town and, and past the costume store, and the gorilla and magician costume are hanging in the window. So that was chapter 13. Got anything you want to say about that? Uh, one grin. One grin. Yeah. And at this point, it just becomes an orgy of facts that you're supposed to follow. But they all kind of don't really, like, they're all pretty self-evident. You don't really have to keep reading about them, but we're gonna. Uh, chapter 14, signal three. They think the costumes are some kind of signal being put in the window. So they decide to just go in the store and find out. And I wrote, they never think about being more secret or careful. Uh, it's locked, so they go to the back. Uh, they hear voices talking. Uh, and mention things like no second mistake and signal three. Suddenly the boys have a hunch that Chet was mistaken for them since uh, he was wearing a gorilla suit. The boys go home. They tell their dad uh, they have a plan to go back and get kidnapped so that uh, Chief Colleague can nab them and have like a crime and prove it with evidence. Uh, yeah, that seems like a solid plan. No questions asked from yeah. Most any parents, of the adults here. Like, yeah. Most parents would say, like, well, I mean, I'm cool enough to let you go running around at all times of the night without ever questioning you, uh, but this one's going too far. No. Uh, Dad goes, nah, I don't know. This is a quote the father considered. It's plenty risky. Uh, Please, Dad, Joe urged. Fenton Hardy was concerned for his son's safety, but he was proud of their willingness to risk capture for the sake of their missing chums. All right, he agreed. So that's the end of that. <laughs> uh, so they go to the costume shop. So wholesome, but so weird. I know. Time. It's just kind of like, well, I don't care if you die. Oh, that's really risky. You might actually get murdered and God knows what else. Uh, but, you know, I like your spunk. Uh, so they figure that single, uh, signal three means to knock three times, which not yeah, very clearly. secretive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not very secretive. That's like the, the, the most... Uh, covert you can get and it turns out it is ben stark answers the door he comments how he's heard that they're working on a new case and the boys decide to play innocent and say uh chet must have drowned because <laughs> he's fat <laughs> when joe asks where mr french is the men in the room leap forward and grab the brothers the boys are shoved in a car and transported somewhere uh they don't hear the sirens and they figure that they went to the store too soon i said nice plan way to coordinate so it's like as soon as dad goes, okay, go ahead and risk your lives, they must have immediately just run, like, full, like, head back, you know, yeah, arms flailing, run as fast as they can down the street to go get kidnapped as soon yeah, as possible. Yeah, told to literally just wait 20 minutes. Yeah, just that. like, can I just call the cops and get ready so we know when you're going to go talk to them? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so anyways, when their hoods are removed, they're in a shack. It's constructed of old wood crates and two-by-fours and nails sticking out and an old stove. So that's chapter 14. You got a grin count or anything you want to say? Uh, zero grins. Zero grins. I didn't see any grins, yeah. All right. I mean, there weren't, it's not as grin heavy as Twilight, but there was, I thought, a noticeable number of grins. Well, the fact that I caught a grin in one of the quotes that I pulled and also noticed later, like, there's a grin a lot. Damn it, I should go back and count all the grins. Um, I was kind of expecting more, but because I just yeah. like the, uh, the serendipity of uh, a proto-Twilight. Chapter 15, Outwitting a Suspect. Got a quote that says, Although bound and gagged, the Hardys exchanged messages. Frank's glance slid to their guard. 
tilted back in his chair against the wall, then he looked at his brother. Joe nodded slightly to show that he understood and looked toward the lantern. That little scene right there totally had me laughing out loud because it's just like so cartoonish. Yeah. Frank gets uh, free of the rope by using a rusty nail on the wall to cut it. The man assigned to watch them wasn't really paying attention. I think he was sleeping, wasn't he? I can't remember now. I think he was, yeah. Yeah, everyone's sleeping all the time. Uh, and throws a except, chair at Except them. for the industrious Hardy Boys. They're awake all hours of the night. <laughs> they only sleep like one hour a day. <laughs> then it's back to the lab. Uh, so he throws a chair at them when he realizes that they're uh, getting up and moving around. Frank swung a right-hand haymaker. So I had to go look up what a haymaker was. I understand it's a punch. But, like, why? what does a haymaker mean? It just means a wild punch. And uh, yeah. knocks them down. So, anyways, they look outside and they see that they're in Shantytown. Ah, a shadowy figure comes out at them. Oh, quote, being fists ready, Frank and Joe are set themselves for a fight. Uh, but it's just Pat Muster, the Planko's cop. And they said, where's our father, Joe asked. And I wrote, a powerful question. Probably the driving force behind why they're always <laughs> trying to get his approval by putting themselves in danger. <laughs> Is that what this is all about? I think the entire crux of this book <laughs> is just centered around that question on that chapter. <laughs> Where's our father? <laughs> oh. uh, they look for evidence in the shack, uh, but it's empty. Then after a lot of like, I mean, it's not a lot of writing, but a, a little bit more than I would expect about like, well, we can't find anything. It's a small shack made of two by fours and crates. And they're like, yeah, this place is empty. And then apparently, like, out of some sort of bad, you know, yeah. SVU episode where it's like they all turn towards the uh, towards the oven or the little yeah. <laughs> thing. Yeah, there's nowhere like, else anything could be hidden here except for the stove. <laughs> except for the stove, which cracked me up when I read that. I'm like, that's hilarious because they all turn to the stove and they open it up like, oh, my God, there's yeah. masks in here. <laughs> there's evidence. So um, dad finally shows up way late. Why is he late? Because he said he followed Stark and Morgan from Shantytown. They went to the docks waiting for someone that didn't show. They headed back to Shantytown, so that's why he came back. <laughs> so the dad is just like, ah, my kids are fine. I'm going to go follow these guys over here. Like, he doesn't, he's not concerned about his kids being abducted and want to be yeah. there to whatever. So that was, that cracked me up. Uh, the next morning, dad tells the kids that Chet, chief colleague, uh, found the fingerprints of Stark, Fritz, and Duke, and Moron in the, uh, in the mask. So, do you need that at this point? You already found evidence in the stove, and, like, you can look for the fingerprints, but it's not, like, breaking yeah. news. Like, you kind of can assume now, like, those are theirs, so let's move on. Okay, you got the fingerprints? Great, that's a good thing for court, but we're going to keep moving forward. But apparently that's big news. Uh, there's one set of fingerprints they can't identify. Do, do you think they robbed that bank? At this point... Again, you're saying it's like a three-day period. I'm thinking it's like two weeks, but uh, you're probably right. It's probably like a three-day period. But at this point, they're still not completely sure if all these things are tied together, which seems absurd. Because in the beginning, like the first couple chapters, like, okay, yeah, they're all tied together. Well, I mean, that's why at the very beginning, before we even got into the book, it was described as one of the most baffling mysteries that young detectives have ever encountered. Eh. There's one that the, uh, the kids think that the one set they can't identify is the bald fellow and mention uh, Kane telling him that. Dad freaks out because he forgot to tell them that Kane called yesterday. We need to call him back right away. So they call him back and he says, and quote, you remember those uh, fellows who rented the black cat from me? He asked. Well, one of them 
left an empty envelope in his hotel room. I own the hotel, and that's how I found it. I thought it might help you to track him down. Fritz Stark's address is on it. And he adds that the radios come from a worldwide radio distributors in Yokohama, Japan. A lot of details that don't really mean anything. Like, that that entire address doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot. But Yeah. So, chapter 15, you got any grins? Uh, one. One. Got anything you want to say about that uh, jam-packed chapter? Nope. Okay. Chapter 16, <laughs> <laughs> skeleton symbol. Details, details, details just being slung at you. Now, it's like a like an orgy of details and facts you're supposed to follow, but you just kind of get numb and you stop paying attention. The kids head back to the radio store. The clerk is all giddy that he might be able to finally sell one of these kids. He tells them that they just got more in, uh, that Mr. French has been the one selling them to the store. They head back to the store and see a, or to French's store. They see a closed indefinitely sign. The only costume in the window is a skeleton. Uh, with his arms out like a scarecrow with an exclamation point. I remember that part. Jerry and Tony show up, uh, and I think that's probably the most suspicious thing of the entire book. Jerry and Tony are just kind of always floating around right at the right moments, but apparently doesn't mean anything. They consider again that everyone might be held hostage on the island for the 90th time, so just go to the island and go check it out. The four boys decide to go to the island again, uh, but, quote, no girls this time. <laughs> they stop at home, and Alf is sitting in the living room waiting for them. The aunt is nervous yeah. and just kind of hanging around outside because she's going to be hanging around Alf because he probably smells like musk. Kind of got her a little excited. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't cook him dinner yet. <laughs> yes. She's like, oh, you seem nasty and dangerous. Do you want me to make you a, a macaroni and hot dog? Um... Alf says, hey, I'm out of jail again, obviously, because he's sitting in the living room. Uh, and he knows who beat up Sutton. It's one of his pals uh, named Pops. Uh, keeps getting into fights all the time. They decide to go to the island. Thank God. It's about damn time. They see a boat leaving when they arrive. They decide to chase it. And I wrote, don't these morons ever worry about guns or just just go under the radar and just go like sleuth without having everyone know exactly what you're doing? They decide now because Chet and Biff come first. When they get on the island, they see a, a cave and sneak up into it, and they hear voices, which is another cliffhanger. So that's chapter uh, 16. What's your grin count? One grin. One grin. Chapter 17, Herbert's hideout. Frank half crawls into the mouth of the cave, and he comes out and runs off down the path all dramatically, and you have to read a lot about that. And then they uh, catch up with him, and he's laughing because he heard the voices say, Buh-bye, buh-buh-butterfly baby foods. The hermit's in there listening to the radio, and it's a commercial. They decide to look around for any shelter. Why? Because clearly you have a person in a cave. Just go scope that out. But instead, they're like, okay, let's go look around and waste more time. Uh, looking for shelter outside well, the cave. Also, so the radio's on in the cave, and the, the hermit fellow is fellow. sleeping. <laughs> and just forgot to turn off the radio and mm-hmm. fell asleep. And so there's four boys on the island at this point, right? Yeah. And one sleeping man. <laughs> and this is a dangerous island. They, one sleeping fellow, yeah. Yeah, one sleeping fellow. They're looking for their friends who have been kidnapped by dangerous criminals. And so why don't the four boys go into the cave and somehow restrain the one man that's in there sleeping that's instead exactly of just leaving him I'm, be and yeah. then like leaving? Like, yeah, we'll just let this guy be right now. We're gonna we're gonna do some more exploring. It's like 
it's completely moronic. It's like a, you you have a person that you know is not. It's a fellow that you know is not an actual hermit. He's pretending to be a hermit because the last hermit yeah. actually died last October. So they're like, okay, so this fake fellow is sitting inside the cave playing one of the radios. I'm sure they would put two and two yeah. together. Like that's probably one of the radios that we've been learning so much about. And God, the nickel and ivory is fantastic on those things. Yeah, this this man is a bank robber and a kidnapper. Let's yeah, just let him finish his nap. So that is the focus of your attention, like. Chet and Biff are probably sitting inside there all gagged up and stuff, maybe. But instead they're like, well, time to go search the entire island and see if we can find any huts that they might be keeping Chet and Biff at. No, obviously it's going to be with the guy guarding them. Uh, anyways, that's what drives me crazy about this story. Yeah, yeah. So they decide to look around for shelter. They find nothing. They work their way to the center of the island. They climb a large plateau where they can see everything. They're like, oh, that's how the fake hermit could see everything. Doesn't matter. They're totally useless. Uh, the hill they're climbing slips away as Tony's going up it, and he hurts his ankle because he almost slides down like an avalanche and almost dies. And again, that's the second time where someone almost slides down a cliff face and no one seems to really care, except for Tony because his ankle hurts. Uh, but then... Yes, uh, it's, it's broken. Yeah, and he's constantly like, hey guys, you should just like, leave me behind. As if it's like a war movie. <laughs> it's like, leave me behind, I'm holding you back. <laughs> it's just so stupid. So they walk down another path and they just find pea jackets lying on the path. Apparently, they're the coats that the robbers used. And I said, why would they just leave their jackets there on the side of a path? Makes no sense I just wanted to clarify that it's P spelled P-E-A. Oh, so these aren't jackets that are just, like, specifically made to be peed on. No. Then what's a P-E-A jacket? Oh, you're very familiar with a P-E-E jacket, but not a P-E-A jacket? Well, my dad always made me wear a P jacket. (laughs) (laughs) He'd pee on it every morning, like, put this on. Shut up and put this on. <laughs> put on the pea jacket. <laughs> All right. So anything for chapter 17? Um, no. All right. Because we're almost done. Oh, finally. Jesus. Chapter 18. There are only four robbers, but there's five coats. Hmm. A boat coming. These are details you're supposed to pay attention to. Uh, the boat, the, like the fingerprint, though, the fifth fingerprint. A boat is coming toward the island. And I said, if the island is so close to Shantytown, why doesn't anyone talk about the traffic they keep seeing going back and forth to the island when they're sitting on Shantytown, presumably getting drunk and uh, eating young children's pounds of bratwurst? Uh, The kids cover their boats with brush. The boat people coast by and they don't see anything. Uh, And it's the same guys from Mr. French's shop that they saw a while ago. Like an asshole, Jerry sneezes and the men come back. Well, he's allergic, to, he's allergic to pine. What can he do? <laughs> ah, pine, the Achilles heel of every adventurer. Fritz Stark sees them. Uh, the kids scramble up the hill, and Fritz captures Joe, and then they uh, take uh, f- two of the kids captive, and I make good notes on that. But anyways, we'll find that out in Chapter 19. You got a, a grin count for Chapter 18, Ben? I counted zero grins. All right, Chapter 19. The Rocky Prison. Joe and Jerry are captured. Frank and Tony are heading toward the harbor. They notice that the uh, other boat, the Napoli, isn't following. Napoli. <laughs> they get to the Coast Guard. And are you Frank, doing it on purpose now? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I hope okay. you're appreciating I, I, that. I thought so. That's a little yeah. inside joke. We're having a lot of fun uh-huh. here, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we are. Okay, so Frank uh, uh, hands off Tony, uh, the cripple. Get this cripple out of my boat. And uh, go, go take care of him. And that's where Tony goes. Uh, Leave me behind. You got to go. You got to go find Chet and Biff, which obviously he's already doing. He tells the guard about the coats and uh, paces the dock back and forth like a like a tiger in a cage, looking for the Napoli. Napoli. 
Back at the island, Stark and the bald man come out of the cave. Ah, the bald man's wearing a hermit's outfit. Stark calls the bald man Pops and yells at him for allowing the kids to sneak on the island. He says that the kids uh, found the jackets. And I said, leaving the jackets on a path and then expecting them to like still be there, like they're, they're like, a, like this is a good spot to keep these. We'll come back and get them later, and they're going to be fine. It's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, where do you leave your pea jacket? Well, every time my dad made me wear it, I'd go to the bus stop and immediately take it off and just leave it at the bus stop. And then I had to put it back on when I come home again, so he never knew that I wasn't wearing it all day. Okay. Got a quote saying, you're no good for anything but drinking soda and getting into fights. <laughs> <laughs> drinking <I> soda <laughs> that's the extent of their evil now nah, you're always drinking soda and getting into fights you tough fellow apparently <laughs> all the fighting was about the amount of uh, his cut from the robbery they say that he wanted to kidnap the Hardy Boys and send a message to their dad not to pursue them so there's nothing like saying hey there's a, we're going to go to this town and rob a bank but there's a famous detective that lives there. So instead of striking the bank, getting the hell out, and going away so he can't track us down, let's steal his kids to inspire him not to follow us. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> anyway, so when they saw the sleuth, they tried to ram it just to test how fast the sleuth can go. Uh, they dragged Joe and Jerry onto the back of the cave. And then uh, Joe says, Jumping catfish! Joe whispered hoarsely. Oh, it's Mr. French back here. So that's chapter 19. Got anything to say uh, about chapter 19? Uh, nope. Actually, jumping catfish is one of my, the only notes I had on that <laughs> chapter, so I'm glad you covered that. <laughs> and I love that we're both seeing the same stuff, and boy, we get excited. All right, last chapter, chapter 20, ambushing the enemy. And this is where it just goes, balls out, off the chain. Mr. French is back there, and he explains... Fritz Stark and Nick Glasser uh, stopped in the shop when you came in to pick up your costumes, and they ordered masks. Uh, French asked them if they were going to go to a party, and they laughed and mentioned okay, they're going to well, rob a bank. Let's back up for a second here. All right. So these men are going into town to rob a bank. Yep. And their plan for a disguise is to rent masks from the costume shop in the same town where the bank is. Yep. And they're going to rent these masks the day of the bank robbery. Well, you just... Or the day before. Yeah, you nullified like nine the, the, comments that I made in my notes. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, good. That's for the sake of brevity. I'm glad I did that. But, but seriously, that's that's the... And we've established earlier in the book that this bank robber is part of a, a national ring of bank robbers. Uh, yeah. That Fenton Hardy has been tracking for years, presumably, <laughs> trying to... Track it. And these, these are the, the super criminal geniuses that we're dealing with. They're the people who are going to the costume shop, probably <laughs> on the same block as the bank, to, yeah, get their, exactly. to get their disguises so they can rob the bank in a few hours. <laughs> yeah, it's a small town, so it's like two blocks away from where they rob the bank. You're right. Yeah. So, yep, anyway. and I love that Fenton can't figure it out. If anything, maybe that's the reason why Fenton keeps putting his kids in danger is because he's trained them through shouting and spanking, like, you know, wake you up in the morning by spanking you awake, that uh, he finally gets the kids to be such good detectives that he leans on them to do his work. Because he couldn't figure out, after all this time, how to find this network of bank robbers, even when it's in his own backyard. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Good point. Sorry, sorry, I stole your thunder. With no, that. good observations. Well, I want you to steal my thunder. I want you to comment on this stuff. Okay. Well, okay, so the robbers started using the store as their meeting place. 
<clears throat> to sit and brag about what they're going to do and not worry about Mr. French, except that Mr. F- Mr. French, just like the Hardy Boys, will openly say, I'm going to call the cops on you, <laughs> even though they're sitting in his store. <laughs> hey, fellas, I don't want you robbing the bank. <laughs> I don't want you fellows doing that. I'm going to call the cops on you. Uh, they talk openly about kidnapping the boys, so French says he's going to call the cops. They threaten him, obviously, because if you do something like that, there's simple cause and effect with criminals, and you got to worry about that. Uh, they make him put costumes in the windows as a signal. Uh, a single costume means danger, stay away. They eventually abduct uh, Mr. French because he's just so loud. If he just kept quiet and be like, oh, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is cool, he'd probably be fine. But nope, he had to be all like loud and I'm going to call the cops. So anyways, they hear a large motorboat uh, in the distance. I think they call it a cutter, whatever the hell that is. And they yell out for help. Frank and the Coast Guard show up. Uh, They guess that the robbers are hiding in the cave because they can't outrun their beautiful, magnificent, loud boat. They search the winding cave passages until they find Chet and Biff, uh, along with the robbers, using them as human shields. Uh, I guess Frank is outside. So I guess, like, the kids went outside while the cops ran in to go down the corridors. That part I got confused about. Okay. Well, they, yeah, they figured out there must be another entrance to this cave, so they went to find it. Which, again, Frank, or uh, Chet and Biff are the big deal. Like, okay, so let's go in here. Let's all, with the cops, let's all go look for Chet and Biff. But instead, they're like, you guys go. We're going to go just waste time out here outside. But wasting time. They saved the day. Well, they did, because lucky for them, they found a giant crack in the side of the Well, which they, it wasn't lucky. They they deduced. They were detectives with powerful, yeah, they did. They, They reasoned that they had to be in this network of caves somewhere. There must be some other entrance. So they went to find it. And lo and behold, there it was. But all the cops are going in the one entrance. That's obvious. And all right, fine. Yeah. So then they knew there must be another entrance. Roll the dice. A less obvious one. And not a roll the dice. It was a very calculated maneuver. <laughs> I think you give the Hardy Boys far more credit. than I don't think you give them nearly enough credit. All right, fine. I think you're, you're kind of like their father. Nick Glasser is in the opening of the crack. So they jump on him, and they use, in I put in all caps, his own belt to tie his hands up behind his back. So that's kind of hot. The path leads uh, all the way back inside the caves, and it pops out and shows uh, Fritz and Pops there holding the kids at gunpoint or whatever. So they jump on the men, I think their legs, to make them collapse. Yeah, they tackle them. Which yeah. that's uh, kind of risky because their trigger finger could still pop off and kill the people that they're using as human shields, but... Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, attack the legs. The rest is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's just chubby Chad. Who cares? <laughs> well, he's got so much body weight. Probably stops a bullet. They talk about how these men are part of a national ring of robbers. Again, for the millionth time. We already know this, but they're still yeah. like, okay, now we know for sure. Uh, then all of a sudden, randomly, I thought it was random, unless you can scold me otherwise. Uh, they just kind of like, well, the money's got to be here somewhere. So they drop to their knees and start digging with their pocket knives and stuff in the dirt. And they pull up bags of money right there. Well, because the they, they had noticed the loose soil. Oh, I must have missed that part. Yeah. Uh, so dad congratulates them for solving three mysteries at once. And that's what you said earlier, they wonder what the future will hold for them, and they'll they'll find out while, quote, hunting for their hidden gold, in quotes. <laughs> uh, they asked Chet how Pops got his name, and it's because he's always drinking pop. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no shit. It took him three chapters to figure that out. And this is where I finally noticed the grins. Uh, uh, I wrote, I wonder, in quotes, Joe said with a, and I put in all caps, grin, if he'll be served any fizzle in jail. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the book ends. So, well, what's your count for uh, for the grin on chapter 20? Oh, there's probably uh, a lot uh, of grinning at the end. Yeah, there's just that one that you just read. That is what I caught, and I got 15 for the book, but I might have missed some. I wasn't, you know. Yeah, you were not. There, there's nonstop action in this. It's not like Twilight where I'm bored and I'm counting grins just to, like, stay up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, let's take a quick look. Um Taking a quick look at the grins. Oh, Lord. It's just filling up right now. Oh, 21 results found. Okay. How far did you get? I got 15. Are they all real grins, or can you audit them real quick to make sure? Uh, I got. I, I type in grin, and we got grinned with an ED. Uh, yeah. And grin and grinned. Yeah, so it's, it's covering all the grins. Okay. So 21 grins. 21 grins, Ben. But there's no grind in there or anything like that? Or? No, it's not doing that. Okay, just making sure. 54, well, 12, is, uh, 54 fellows and 21 grins. <laughs> in, in, a, in a pretty short book. Again, this is only 170-some pages. And I know. There are several pictures in mine. So. Oh, that, that's true. I saw a couple of pictures, too, especially diving off the boat while they're being shot at, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there, yeah, there's that one. And then there's the picture of um, portly Chet falling into the water, which he didn't look all that chubby in that picture, I thought. But Well, you know. Beauty standards have changed since the 1920s. <laughs> He's probably only 10 pounds overweight. And they'll say, oh, my yeah. God, you're like a lard ball. <laughs> Show some respect for yourself, Chet. <laughs> yeah. You're a disgrace before God. Look at yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. What'd you think about this book overall? Because we're well, not going to read another Hardy Boys, so uh, we're we're leaving Hardy Boys behind. This is our venture into the Hardy Boy uh, uh, universe franchise. Got so it. I, I read on. this book, I'm sure, before like 30 years ago or something. Did you ever read these when you were growing up? Um, I started. There was a Hardy Boys one when I was in elementary school that I started reading, and I got really bored, and I stopped. Okay, I. I devoured these. I, I read a lot of Hardy Boys books. Oh, when did I you was, really? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, when I was like seven or eight, I, I read a lot of these. Talk about that. What did you like about them? What was it about them? Also, what era of books do you think you were reading? 20s or 40s? I, I think like the whole gamut. I, I read a lot of these. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you like about them? No, just the, the nonstop action, I guess. I, I don't remember, but I don't know. I mean, if you... We, we were obviously picking this apart because that's what we do but if you're yeah. eight years old and you're reading this it's probably pretty entertaining and you feel like you're a, a big kid because you're reading a chapter book and yeah so i know but I was, it's I was really easy to read the, really short chapters really easy to digest and yeah i was trying to keep that in action. mind as i was doing this i was just like if i just sat down and read this i wouldn't walk away thinking it's like the worst thing i ever read i'd yeah. be like oh it's okay and especially for its time that it was written it's like entertaining and stuff yeah, for but, Simon, for its audience. Yeah, but for us to sit and talk about it, it was like, well, the episode gets boring. It's just like, well, so they, yeah, they figured out oh, the yeah. crime. They solved the crime. But, like, we don't talk about the details, so it kind of gets boring. Yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So all right. So you liked them because it was action packed. Uh, yeah, I think so. And it was this, it was kind of fun to reread this now. Yeah, and you're like boys. There's no <laughs> smooth man. <laughs> that's staying in the show. Finally, this is the first episode that smooth man stays in the show. No one's ever gonna know the backstory, but it's staying in the show. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's that's kind of cute. So you're a young kid. You, did you read this story as a child before? I'm sure. I, I'm sure I must have. I, I, like I said, I might have read like all of them. Literally, mm-hmm. I don't. I've read a lot of these. Well, well, well. Well, are, don't we have Nancy Drew? on another future book that you've already purchased. Yeah, so... Um, so we're going to see the other side, the female side, which hopefully they say, like, when the boys are scared, oh, this island seems creepy. The girls go, ah, ha, 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 ah boys. And then they're like, okay, but we should be careful, fellows. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to find out. Yeah. Well, that's good. So any thoughts about this? Now as an adult, you're reading it again. Uh, what'd you walk away with? Well, yeah, there's... <laughs> There's some plot holes in there, but yeah, I don't know, it, was, it was a fun, it was a hell of a lot more fun to read than Twilight. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for so, sure. It's a quick, fun, breezy, breezy read. Ah, breezy read. So easy, few, breezy. A few troubling elements, but overall, just good, good fun. Yeah, no, now that I found out that they redid all these in the 50s and 60s, I do kind of want to go to used bookshops and find an old pre-1959 one and see how bad it was. If they had to edit it back in the 1950s, oh, how hateful must it have been for 1950s editors to be like, oh, this is no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the 50s, they're saying, well, this didn't age well. Yeah, I know. And by today's standards, oh, it must have been <laughs> really, really bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I kind of like, I kind of desperately want to find it. So I'll have to dig into that a little bit and find out. Well, for me... Uh, I think I probably would have enjoyed the book. It's just being cute and simple and, you know, lighthearted and that kind of thing. Um, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But when I realized, like, well, okay, I should probably make notes about the chapters because I'm not just going to remember these chapter events off the top of my head. Because there's enough going. They're always going to the island, to the shantytown, to their parents. Out, they're going to Mr. French. They're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Like, okay, i got to make notes. And then when I realized, like, well, there's enough, like, sub-events going on here that i got to track that down, too. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just getting bogged down. And then when I reached the end, chapter 20, I'm like, well, none of the stuff I took notes about matters. But also, that's part of the journey, so I guess it's worth keeping. And I kind of got resentful. Like, why did I have to go through all that minutia to finally get to, like, that the bank robbers did everything. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> Like, if all these, like... Yeah, these, there, there wasn't exactly a plot twist at the end or anything. I know, but so you can you was, can see from the yeah. very beginning, like, oh, okay, so Shantytown's got problems. Oh, okay, so there's yeah. a bank robbery. I'm sure the bank robbers have something to do with Shantytown. Oh, there's, like, an abduction going on. Well, I'm sure it's the bank robbers, right? Like, just as a reader, you're like, I get it. Like, they're all tied in. But you have to go through this whole long walk to finally get to the end. We're like, it turns out that the bank robbers did everything. I'm like, I know. Damn yeah, it, I, I had to take all these notes. Kind of, <laughs> and I was kind of thinking about that when I read this, and I think part of the appeal of this, and it's there's similar appeal to this book as there is to, I think, a lot of TV shows these days. It's this fairly short, easily digestible thing that yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You don't have a hard time following the plot, and it's wrapped up neatly at the end. It's almost it's like a children's version of an episode of Law & Order or something, or, or Columbo. Oh, for sure. Uh, right? Well, it's just, and now you're yeah. speaking to me. I love Columbo. 
Yeah, yeah. but isn't this kind of the, the eight-year-old oh, book no, version yeah. of Columbo? It's, yeah, it's a nice, easy mystery that's... Well, yeah, Christ, Columbo starts out... Every episode of Columbo starts out where you see the murder. Now it's just yeah. a matter of how do you get to that, you know, you know, it's going to happen. He's going to catch him. It's like, so now you just watch the dance happen. Yeah, you're right. And that is good. Been, I, I think... Yeah, so I it's think comforting in that sense. It's, it's, it uh, is. Yeah. Well, you're right. All right. So with that, you got anything else uh, you want to say before we wrap up the show? Um, well, am I, am I closing it with a, reading a passage? Is that? I would love that. I, did, I didn't actually pick one out for you. So if you got one, that'd be great. Um, I don't know. I'm looking. I jotted down a couple. Oh, I'll find one if you want. I was having a hard time. Well, I was having a hard time deciding because I don't want to have to do like five different voices, and there's a lot of characters in any given scene. So can you, can you just was, read about Chet hiding in the rafters and his weight problems? <laughs> I could, do they reference his weight problems much in that? Short passage, or I thought they did. It wasn't that short. I mean, oh he was yeah, wait, up yeah, there okay, for a while. yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> that, okay, that's a good call. That, okay, that as well. Here we go. We'll start right. at the beginning. Start. What? Whenever you're ready, sir. Oh. Hi, Biff. Frank greeted him. Where's Chet? Biff Hoover answered in an unnaturally loud voice and winked at them. <laughs> Why? Uh, he'll see you soon. What's up? Joe whispered. Biff merely shrugged and kept on grinning. The Hardys knew some joke was in the making. Frank asked in a low tone, Have you opened the bay door yet? Biff nodded and unmoored the sleuth. Frank raised his voice and continued talking with Biff, at the same time motioning to his brother to tiptoe to the boat door. Joe chuckled, took a bamboo pole from against the boathouse and picked his way across the catwalk to the front. He peered in, then upward. Jammed between the rafters and the ceiling was plump Chet Morton. He was looking the other way toward the small door. Silently, Joe unmoored the sleuth and using the pole, pulled the craft halfway out the boathouse, leaving a clear surface of water beneath Chet. Then Joe playfully jabbed at his friend with the bamboo pole. That's right. Yo! Chet bellowed. There followed a great splash and a geyser of water drenched the inside of the boat as the chubby boy went under. A second later, he popped to the surface just as Frank and Biff ran in. Why, Chet, what are you doing in the water? Frank asked, pretending astonishment. As if you didn't know, where's Joe? (laughs) Right here, Chet, he said. All right, you turn the tables, Chet sputtered good-naturedly as they hauled him out of the water. (laughs) I want to hear you, Biff. Did you give me away? (laughs) Of course not, Biff laughed. If I'd known it was a swimming party, I would have worn my trunks. (laughs) Good job. That was fantastic. Oh, my God. All right, I'm letting you go. Goodbye, Ben. Uh, Okay, goodbye.